Hi friends, this is Jonathan Frizz, founder of 10 Days. Earlier this year, I did a series of interviews with my good friend, Greg Healy, attempting to do an in-depth telling of the 10 Days story. 10 Days is a movement that began in 2004. Since then, God has enabled it to expand into a global prayer and unity movement. Trust me, it's taken a lot longer than I initially thought, but after 17 years, it's incredible to see the original vision unfolding before our eyes. Over the years, I've cast vision for 10 days hundreds of times, probably thousands. I've become adept in sharing about 10 days in 30 seconds, five minutes, or 30 minutes, however long they're willing to give me. If it's a really, really good day, I might get an hour to share, which means I can usually get into some pretty cool testimonies. It's been on my heart for some time to do a longer, more leisurely telling where we could really dive deep into the history, the God encounters, the miracles, the mistakes, and the mysteries of this incredible journey. This is the prophetic history of the movement, how we've grown from small beginnings to where we are today. It's also a personal history, a history of faith, fear, tragedy, disappointment, love, and learning how to follow Jesus. In my case, that's often meant learning the hard way. I think this will be an encouragement and an inspiration to you both because of the amazing things that have happened and continue to happen, but also because of the failures and mistakes we've faced along the journey. Hopefully you can avoid some of these pitfalls or else when you encounter whatever you need to encounter and go through what you need to go through, you'll at least know a few things not to do. Following Jesus is the most beautiful thing I can even imagine, but it's also the most painful and it costs us everything. However, at the end of the day, what else are we going to do with our short lives? Why not decide to give everything to the only one found worthy in heaven and on earth, the one who gave everything to make us his own? I hope you enjoy this series. And remember, please subscribe to our podcast as well. These are podcast exclusives, and we hope that you will be encouraged and enjoy them. God bless. Hey, welcome back, everybody. 10 Days Story. Uh, we're with Jonathan Frizz, the founder of 10 Days. And Jonathan, we were just talking about Pentecost 2007 and how amazing that was and how you were starting to become a charismatic Christian. Uh, but take us, to, <laughs> take us to summer of 2007 um, because some interesting things happened, I think, uh, at the Yale campus once more. You were there in 06. You had met Dave Warren, our mutual friend. Uh, it was all about revival and awakening. Yale, by the way, has had like 19 revivals and awakenings, and we're expectant for the 20th. So tell us what happened. Take us back to the summer of 2007. Yeah, so coming off of this incredible uh, life-changing encounter, uh, I mean, it's hard to overemphasize how important that was personally to me in 2007. Let me just tell this story first before we get into the Dave Warren thing. So when I got back from um, the 10 days, I mean, it was like, it was like I had been in heaven and I had to come back to earth and I was a mess. Like I could not function in the world because I had, I was like used to like, you know, it's maybe it's like those divers when they come up too fast from the depths. You know, I was used to like this weight You're of God's presence. Bends. I was freaking out, like just with normal life, because basically, like normal life for us, we don't realize it is so uh, like the it's so evil, and it's almost like you've been into something so close, so heavenly, so close to God. It can be hard to come back and just be in the world. And so, um, and I was just like dying for prayer. So, um, you know, Wednesday night, Cassie, uh, was just like, Jonathan, you're driving me crazy. Um, you know, cause I was moaning about not, you know, prayer and, uh, blah, blah, blah. and she's like, and that's get out of the house, the usual, take the baby. Crazy. <laughs> uh, more than usual. Right. Exactly. So, so she says to me, get out of the house take the baby and go find a prayer meeting. And so I'm like, this is totally unreasonable. Like <laughs> there's no way 
and you know, I'm just, I don't really know anybody in the town where I live. And, um, so I, you know, I get out, I've got the baby in a stroller and the Holy spirit speaks to me and he's like, go to Brian Berry's house. So Brian Berry was a classmate of mine at seminary. I didn't know him super well. I'd met him a couple times. Um, and, um, but we weren't like friends or anything. And I knew he lived in a building that was an apartment building. Um, and, uh, but I didn't know where he lived in that building. So I walked out of that building it was about a mile, mile and a half away from my house. Um, I take the baby and then, you know, I just see someone outside the building. I'm like, Hey, do you know where this guy lives? And they're like, Oh yeah, he lives in this apartment. Um, so I come up to the door and I'm just, the Holy spirit is like, tell them you're here for the prayer meeting. <laughs> I'm just like, I am not saying that to like a group of people I hardly know, like that's crazy. And, and so I knock on the door and I walk in and they're, they're Anglicans, right? So they're literally lighting the candles for a prayer meeting that's about to start. It's the first one they've ever hosted in their house. Wow. And, um, yeah, I, I was embarrassed. I didn't say I'm here for the prayer meeting. I'm like, oh, Holy Spirit, I got to trust you more. <laughs> but nonetheless, we were all amazed um, at what God had done. And, um, you know, just from Cassie being like, get out of here, find a prayer meeting, me being like, oh, uh, that's unreasonable. And, and just God using it, you know, it's just totally cool. And that became were they, our were ongoing. They all wearing robes with hoods. <laughs> it's funny you should mention that actually one of them was wearing a robe they were you know these guys were like didn't grow up anglican they grew up like evangelical and so they were like you know spreading their liturgical wings um enjoying all the high church we had like incense at this prayer meeting i mean it was it was great those are just such great memories <laughs> and so um yeah, that was an amazing, you know, I'm like, wow, that was cool. And that became our ongoing expression of prayer. Um, you know, on a weekly basis, we would be there. And uh, I mentioned that just to say, I think that happens a lot in 10 days. Like God will lead you out of a catalytic season into a regular rhythm of prayer that's sustainable for normal life and helps you sustain the kind of breakthroughs that you have um, during 10 days. So that was an incredible thing that happened. Um, you referenced the uh, Campus Institute for Revival and Awakening. And I wanted to mention that again, because it played a key role in what would happen in 2008. So I went down specifically to hear the Fijian leaders share, because they had f flew in leaders from Fiji who so had experienced this dramatic- the, coral, the story of the coral, the people were from Fiji had come. Correct. Or correct. as we like to and say, like, the South Pacific. The South Pacific. I've been inspired by the South Pacific basically my whole life. <laughs> and so these guys were actually there. Um, these people that were the, the native practitioners. And, and I got to learn more about how they saw these transforming revival breakthroughs. Um, and basically, they explained the pattern. It wasn't just this, this situation of the coral. This had happened in count like many, many villages, many amazing things happened from um, the dead being raised rivers that had been poisoned, being healed, um, just incredible things, but they had a pattern and here was the pattern, the, the elder or the, the tribal chief would invite this group in. It was called the healing the land team. So it's all based on second Chronicles 714. So they right. would invite this team in. And they would shut down the village for seven to 10 days. Okay. And, and as I'm hearing this, I'm thinking, this is exactly what God showed me to do. Yeah. Shut things down. They'd shut it down for the purpose of prayer. They'd meet together for prayer, um, you know, three times a day, morning, afternoon, and evening. They'd fast. Um, they'd repent. So they would actually go through and, and literally get rid of idols. These are tribal people. They, some, some of them worship indigenous gods, ancestral gods. Um, they would make reconciliation. Oops, sorry about that. They'd make reconciliation uh, between one another. And then they described how it's at a certain point in this process of um, praying, seeking God's face, 
humbling themselves with fasting and turning from wicked ways, at a certain point, there would be the moment when what they said, God came to town. And often it would be in the presence, like it would be manifested in the natural with rain. But everything would change in the spiritual atmosphere. Like it would just be a complete 180 where the presence of God would show up. Often it came with, with us with rain. Um, in that other village that we mentioned, it came with fire, but they said, usually it's rain. It's not always. And it would, they'd say anywhere, you know, usually around seven days, it's not always the same. And then after that, everything's different. Miracles become very common. Um, the whole atmosphere has changed. Everything changes. Um, and, and it would, you know, like they'd see those, um, natural miracles like miracles in the earth at that time through those breakthroughs so i'm listening to this and i'm just thinking they're describing what god has called me to do with 10 days um, and i'm like this is incredible it's such an encouraging confirmation um and so armed with that um we went into the next uh year um and uh, in 2008 I, so I was in seminary at the time, and I really wanted to see my classmates impacted by this experience because this had fundamentally changed my life, doing 10 days. So it was really on my heart, and I just knew the, there was only one way to get seminary students to do 10 days, and that was if it was for college credit. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody was so academically minded, and I'm like, if I could make it for credit, they would do it. Um, but if it's just to go and do the thing, no one's going to do it. Um, and so I worked with, um, you know, some professors there at Gordon-Conwell that were very gracious. And, and we, we, we worked it into like an elective course. Um, and so we got about 12 seminarians um, who signed up to come out. Um, and then we had, uh, I don't remember how many people we had that year, but it was a significant increase of full-time people from 2007. It was back at Northfield where we had been in 2007 um, for a 10-day retreat. And um, we entered into this time, you know, I entered in full of just expectation of what God was going to do. Um, but it was completely different than the first year. Um, you know, the well, first the, year. That's not just right around the corner. That's like a two or three hour trip from uh, the North shore over to Northfield. It's the other end of the state. Right. Right. Yeah. It's pretty far away. Um, it's, it's, yeah, it's about two hours. So yeah. Western mass is out kind of in the woods. If you're not from the new England region, you know, the Boston area is pretty much like a city extended city. And then when you get into Western Massachusetts, you're in rural new England. So it feels very much like you're in the country, a lot of trees, very beautiful. Um, and this campus we're describing, a part of the attraction of it is it's just incredibly beautiful. Um, and it's up on a hill, so you just have this beautiful view of the surrounding countryside. Right. So we're overlooking New Hampshire and Vermont by the Connecticut right, River. Right. Correct. It's incredibly beautiful. So we had this, um, you know, we enter into this next 10 days, 2008, and um, it's good but it's just not like 2007 and it's not anywhere close. Um, the unity thing that happened that year isn't happening. Um, and um, these seminary students are like messing up my prayer meeting. <laughs> and I'm thinking, I went to all this trouble to get you guys here and you're, and you're messing things up because, you know, they were just get offended at stuff. It's like, Hey, you know, when this person sings, it sounds like she's singing like Jesus is her boyfriend. It's like, so what, you know, uh, or, you know, just always it's just like finding fault with with something or and, and, you know, really what was happening is they were processing out loud a lot of the things I had had to kind of struggle with um, in the first year that I, I brought up to you a little bit. Um, you know, mostly guys not from a, you know, charismatic background. And, and here we are in this prayer meeting together. And so I was just like, I was really grieved about this um, because I had seen what was possible in these kind of settings. Um, and so we kind of entered into this four day focus leading up to uh, the seventh day. So we had already been in it 
and we did one day focused on each of those four rooms of prayer. So we had a day focused on um, scripture. We had a day focused on intercession. We had a day where we just sat in the main prayer room in total silence for like two hours. That was one of the hardest things I've ever had to do. I had to tell a bunch of people, okay, sit in that chair for two hours and don't say a word. And there were like 40 or 50 people in the room. So we just sat there in silence. And then the final day, that Wednesday was going to be worship. So I was like really looking forward to that. So that morning, the Wednesday, this is the seventh day. Um, you know, I just, I was like, I was so antsy and I was so disturbed in my spirit. And I was just saying to God, Lord, if we can't see a measure of fulfillment of John 17 here in a retreat with a group of people that all we're doing is praying for 10 days, how is, how is John 17 ever going to be fulfilled in the church? You know, I'm just like, how is this going to happen? I was frustrated. It wasn't at the level of what I knew was possible. And so I went by myself uh, for about 45 minutes and I just started crying out to God. And as I'm doing this, I started to go in, I started to have like labor, which is just weird. Um, so I'm having these <laughs> like groans that would come on me. <laughs> yeah, it was, and, and it was like a groan and crying. And it's like, like, it would come in intervals or it was like, just like in labor, you have intervals between the contractions. So it'd come on me for like two minutes, really strong. And then it would stop and then it would come on me again and then it would stop. And I'm just like crying out to God for uh, basically for a breakthrough for this to, you know, experience of, of John 17 for a spirit to be poured out. And um, I'm thinking to myself, this is just what, cause we had just had a baby a few months before. I'm like, this is just what Cassie did. <laughs> but I'm a guy. This is really weird. By the way, this is a good thing in the spiritual life too, um, is when something weird is happening, just to acknowledge it and just keep going. <laughs> so, um, and this, this happened and continued, like I said, for 45 minutes to an hour. How, how many months after, pregnant were you? How many months pregnant were you by now? Were you like out eight months? Oh, you were birthing. By you were how, birthing. This was, yeah, this was, was this was, was nine. What was, what was happening? No, this was a full-on birth. So little did I know that around the building where we were meeting, different people were having the same experience of this wow. birthing. Yeah. And so I was exhausted of that. Like after an hour, I just felt like I'd been like, you know, wrung out. And it lifted, and I was like, whoa, I don't know what that was. That was weird. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, a little later, I'm hanging out outside, and, um, you know, we're about 50 feet from where people are praying. And someone, we're, there are three of us talking, someone blows a shofar in the prayer room, um, which, as you know, I love the shofar. <laughs> You love the shofar, I know. You like to have birthing experiences um, through the shofar. I know this is like a weird story, right? But when I heard it, like I knew that like the Holy Spirit was on it in such a way that me and my other friend looked at each other and we were, we, were, we just said to the third person, we've got to go. And so she and I both ran in there like as fast as we could go because we were like, God is doing something right now. So we get in there and it's like a breakthrough moment. Like we are in the midst of an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And we're just like, we're just like, rend your heart, not your garment. We're rending our hearts. And the Holy Spirit starts getting poured out in the room. People start, you know, no one lays hands on anybody, but just people like gifts are just being released. People start praying in tongues that had never done it before. All these different things start happening. And I'm just like, oh, it's happening. Oh, this is what I've been praying for. Like, it's happening now. Um, I think I received a gift of faith in that moment, um, which will come into the story later. They're just, but just like God is just starting to do stuff. And um, so I was like, whoa, okay, get we're getting somewhere now. How did you get the Episcopalians playing the shofar? <laughs> That's the thing. We had a lot of streams coming together. So we had the the shofar stream we had the uh 
I'm just kidding. We, we love the shofar. Um, so, um, that night we had our worship night and the present, you know, just this kept on going, the presence of God, which is so strong, um, being poured out in our midst. And, uh, Josiah Armstrong, who, you know, got up, he had a word. He said, I see a cloud the size of a man's hand. So that's a reference to, um, yeah. uh, Elijah. And, um, he's like, cry out for that cloud to come. And then he said, God is going to send rain in the natural tonight as a sign of what he's doing in the spirit. And as soon as he said that, as soon as those words were out of his mouth, the whole room filled with the smell of rain. You know, that smell of rain, right? Like, yeah, it hadn't been there before at all. And, and then everyone breathed it in. And then you heard this collective gasp after they breathed it in. Cause it was like, it was so amazing um, <laughs> that he said that. And then suddenly the room smelled like rain. Um, and so I went outside, I was like, God, what is going on? So I went outside, I look up, there is not a cloud in the sky. You can see all the stars. And I'm just like, I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> and then I start thinking about the Fiji and like when God comes to town, like after about seven days, it's the seventh day. And I'm like, right. Oh my goodness, that's happening right now, right here in Massachusetts, not in Fiji. Like we are experiencing what they experienced. And I didn't have any assurance it was going to rain, but after, at the end of everything, after that night, you know, ministry to people, just God's moving, uh, you know, it's incredible. People are getting touched. There's no more questions about, you know, this or that. It's just like God's moving and nobody cares anymore. And so as I was going to bed that night, as I went to bed, I heard this gentle sound of rain falling. It's just mm. this gentle rain. And I was like, wow, like I am, <laughs> it was incredible. So something got birthed that day and we got to experience, um, here in the West, what they had, what our brothers and sisters in Fiji had cast vision to us for the year before. Now, the next three days were kind of unlike anything I've ever experienced before or since. It was just such a heavy anointing of the Lord that was present. Um, it's hard to even explain. I would look at myself in the mirror and just felt like it was almost like an out of body experience. I was just like, who are you? Like, I don't even know who I am anymore, but it's just such a weight of God's presence moving. Um, and so while I had been frustrated because it wasn't like the first year, um, in many ways, the 2008 encounter and the 2008, 10 days was even greater, um, in terms of the impact of how God moved, the outpouring of the spirit, the unity that was present. And the beautiful thing too, I was kind of teasing my seminary classmates a little bit before, if any of you guys are listening, I love you. And, and, I'm not trying to put you down. Um, and I think you know that, but, um, what, what was cool was the questions changed instead of asking like, Hey, you know, criticism, it was like, Hey, explain what just happened to us. Cause we all saw that just happen, but we don't understand how it happened. And, um, so I was just like, look, this is like Acts four. Like this was a mini, you know, outpouring of the Holy spirit with a sign accompanying it. Like the rain was the sign in X4, the room was shaken. Um, you know, something just happened to us that is like what happened in the Bible. And um, that made, that seemed to make sense. That seemed to resonate. And um, so anyway, that was the 2008, 10 days of prayer. Uh, I'll say a couple other things. There were some specific downloads that I received related to Northfield and New England where I started to feel very called to both places personally. And, um, you know, after that, I, I remember going to Cassie a few days later and just being like, look, we're not going to leave here when, when I get out of seminary, like God's calling us here. And then God really started to download this vision for, uh, Northfield as being like an ark, um, like a place of God's presence. That was also like a multifaceted, missions base, um, 
just a place that God would use in the future um, and just great hope for reviving some of the spiritual legacy of that place. We had a number of prophetic words come out about it. And so that kind of set me on a, I'm not going to touch too much on this, that journey in, in these uh, conversations, but those are some other significant things that happened in 2008. That's uh, amazing. So 08 started off to be nowhere near like 07, but then it broke out and became its own amazing uh, time with God on the same campus. Now take us to 2009 because that, uh, was the last year you guys were at Northfield for a while. Um, what happened in the 2009? Well, actually, before we go to 2009, if I'm not mistaken, you guys all had an experience in 2008, which was during the crash of the markets, which was during those 10 days of awe. Was it not when the market went down 777 points? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So um, this last 10 days we've been describing was a 10 days Pentecost. And, um, uh, you know, as I mentioned, the main thrust of what the Lord shared with me about 10 days was connected to these fall 10 days, the, the days of awe. But it was interesting in the early years because it just was so much easier to do things in the spring for about the first seven years and then it shifted. Um, and gotcha. um, so the 07- and 08 experiences were both Pentecost. Both Pentecost, right, right. And I almost felt like, is this backwards, Lord? But it was just that God was kind of building. It was really important for us to be doing two times a year at that point to be learning and to be having more of these experiences. So we geared up um, over the summer to do 10 days in the fall in 2008. We went back to Northfield. Um, and we had a little bit of a smaller group than we'd had in the spring. Um, I'll just mention I had a kind of a unique season where God led me into two um, 40 day kind of intense, intensive Daniel fasts um, that summer. Um, and um, the first one in particular was very interesting in that it was just connected so strongly to longing for the return of the Lord. And um, that was the focus of it, which is a major theme of the fall. And I had these, I was having these very odd to me prayer times of just like this deep longing for my innermost being for like Jesus to come. And, um, you know, where I just have these encounters kind of for hours of uh, just this deep longing for his return. And I uh, didn't really understand what was going on in some ways, but I was like, wow, God is really on this right now. Um, and I knew it was something that God was doing to get me ready for launching in the fall. And so, um, you know, that fall we gathered there in Northfield, um, you know, as we began, uh, I got a text from my brother. He just said, you know, we're probably an hour away from starting. And the text just said the stock market just lost 777 points. And I was like, oh, my goodness, like, I can't believe this is happening right now. So, you know, if you remember, um, you know, the phrase Babylon refuses to mourn but my people will mourn before I return. And we just felt like we were sitting in something where just as God was releasing, um, if you will, a judgment on Babylon, this system of, uh, and, and if you read Revelation 18 more, you see it's, it's this global economic system. So we just felt like, wow, in a small measure in 2008, God is releasing a judgment on uh, this Babylonian system. And at the same time, here we are in a small measure, a small group of people, um, just, you know, mourning and uh, longing for the Lord's return and uh, repenting and, you know, crying out to God in this retreat. So it was a pretty, um, yeah, pretty intimate retreat, uh, pretty, uh, it didn't have some of the fireworks that we had seen at the um, spring 10 days in previous years. It was more subdued. Um, I know for me, it was a lot harder. Uh, for one thing, it was a fast. <laughs> so that just, you know, obviously is, is very impactful. Um, but it was also a time in my life where God was just doing kind of some things very deeply in me and taking some things away from me. And so it was just, it was not, um, this one was not enjoyable for me. I think it was still good. Um, but it was, um, a very intensive time. And, um, 
you know, I, I really felt like we were there almost on an intercessory assignment, like the 300 um, Spartans, you know, just like standing in the gap. Uh, there weren't that many of us, um, but we were there right when this economic crisis was hitting and God had us positioned perfectly. So, so yeah, that was our first, I would say, public um, and successful fall 10 days was timed in 2008 to coincide with the, um, you know, time by God to coincide with the uh, financial crisis. And then that led into also a New England-wide solemn assembly that we had that year as part of the New England Alliance. So it was, it was both a, a smaller event with people fasting and praying for 10 days, and then also tied into a larger regional event with, you know, hundreds of people from all over the region joining together. So that's how, yeah, that's how we did our first fall 10 days. So the first fall 10 days was then in 2008. And, right. Um, I, I say first, I, I mean, first, like with a larger group, we had done it in a small group, uh, but it wasn't, you know, it, it was like seven or eight people and we had done it, Cassie and I had done it personally, but this was like, you know, a larger group this is doing it together knowledge. in a retreat. People, people knew, people knew this was going on and came out to it. Correct. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah, we also got so, some really, um, go ahead. No, no, no. You go ahead. No, I think that's enough about that one. Let's, let's keep it moving. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, uh, we're coming into Oh nine now. So there was another Pentecost 10 days in Oh nine. Like what was Oh nine about? Yeah, we had another Pentecost 10 days and, um, you know, this one had yet another shape and structure from the previous ones is like, we were just learning, you know, I think a lot of what God was doing in this time was giving us foundational experiences and showing us what was possible. Um, giving us those early encounters with seeing and experiencing John 17 being fulfilled in the midst of a group of people. Um, and then just like training us on how to respond to certain situations. So, uh, 2009, kind of brought together a lot of those different elements. So started off just really sweet, but not a lot of activity. Um, and then starting at about th uh, three days in, we started to just see a dramatic, uh, dramatic moves of the Holy Spirit. Um, so who and, were the um, attendees in 2009? Were the attendees in 2009 different or um, your seminary student friends? Yeah, yeah, it was different. Uh, it was a different group of people. Some of those who'd been there before, but a lot of new people. Some from the seminary, most mostly not. Um, and uh, some just from around New England. You know, we we kind of been connecting more and more all over the region. Uh, Chris Otto was there. That was one of the first things we did together. I know you know Chris. Um, and yes. so, yeah, there was this one, two, there were these two women that had come from kind of the South Shore. And this was just an interesting story. Um, you know, they, one of them, so they've been there about two days. Like I said, the presence of God was like really strong and sweet, but no fireworks, you know, just like, wow, God is here. And, um, so this one woman is like, you know, I came here cause I thought God was going to touch me, but he hasn't and I'm going home. So she left. And, um, the next day was Sunday. I was thinking this is going to be a really laid back day. We're not going to do too much. We're going to kind of take it easy. We've got a long week. Um, yeah, I was very content with how God was moving, but then God just blew up our meeting <laughs> and there was just all this like prophetic stuff coming out. People were getting really impacted by the Lord and this woman who stayed got super touched by God. And it was just such an object lesson to me. Like you never know when God is going to show up. And this other woman who left early, she, she just like, she just missed it. And, you know, I just felt so sad about that for her, but also just like, wow, what a reminder, uh, us seeking God really does matter. Um, and, um, you know, she could have been touched that next day because literally everyone was touched by the Lord. Um, the day after that, some just crazy stuff, stuff I'd never seen before started happening. We had a guy get frozen on his knees for like eight hours. <laughs> I don't know about you. We're both bigger guys. I can kneel for about a minute and then I'm like, okay, I need to move. 
You've got so, great knees, by the way. Thank you. Yeah, this guy was, I have knees like a great Dane. This guy was frozen in the prayer room for like, I don't even know how long, just hours and hours, like all day. And then after that, he just came out and it was like he was another person. It was like he had been in a cocoon and the butterfly had come out. Uh, it was like not even the same person anymore. Um, and, um, you know, I don't know all that was happening there, but I think there may have been kind of some breaking off of, um, you know, just some deep things that were happening um, in a real so encounter with the like Lord. A, so then we come in. Almost like a slain in the spirit moment, but he was frozen in the spirit. And like frozen. we could have pushed him over. I don't know if, I don't know. Nobody touched him, but like frozen with his eyes closed and arms raised for like not moving for like eight or nine hours. Never seen anything like it. Um, although I know I've read about things like that happening. Um, so that was amazing. Um, and then um, we started to have some bumps along the road. Uh, <laughs> um, we had a, you know, I was like, oh, it'd be great if more people would come. So we kind of like advertised, hey, come on in to 10 days of prayer. And, um, you know, we started to have some people come and, well, turned out they maybe weren't there for the right reasons. And, you know, I was like, oh, yeah, you don't have money. You can stay here. Well, turns out maybe that wasn't such a good idea. Um, and uh, we had some other situations going. We had some situations where there was a guy who um, was married and was just spending all his time hanging out with this young woman who was attractive and, um, you know, just wasn't an appropriate relationship. And uh, uh, there were a variety of other things going on. So all of a sudden we go come out of this like incredible breakthrough into where we're experiencing, we're supposed to be experiencing the presence of God. And instead we're experiencing like tangible oppression, demonic oppression as the dominating atmosphere in our prayer meetings. Wow. So that's not good. That's not good. And we're like having like nightly meetings, <laughs> daily meetings with our leadership. Like what's going on? <laughs> what do we do? That's not good. <laughs> so I think this was on a Wednesday. So it was seven days in, um, you know, we've got a guest worship team. We've got all this oppression going on. The guest worship team is like, what is going on here? Like, this is really messed up in here and they can feel it just in the atmosphere. And, um, the Lord gave me, you know, just an image. Um, and, uh, he said, we're about to make a turn. Um, and, um, and I, you know, like, hang on, you know, basically like, hang on tight. Like this is about to change. And, you know, so we get into it and it's oppressed, it's oppressed, it's oppressed. Like, it's just so bad. And I'm like, oh my goodness, Lord, how are we going to get out of this? And, um, I'm like, Lord, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And he says to me, just keep making mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> which was oddly comforting. I'm like, okay, I'm making mistakes. I've been making mistakes. And what you want me to do right now is keep making mistakes. I'm like, that seems like I can handle that. Um, so it was so almost like, like that's a reference no to making the mistake of inviting the wrong people or people are staying that shouldn't have been there. Those kind of things. Oh, I think I had made, I think I'd made a bunch of mistakes at that point. Yeah. I think I was, I think, um, it's not necessarily important to point them all out, but, um, you know, I think I was making mistakes left and right. And, um, just in terms of how to <laughs> run these meetings. Exactly. Exactly. Um, you know, I think bringing these people in, um, not having good leadership, not having, uh, you know, cause I was kind of insecure in my leadership, um, still at that point. Um, I didn't have good conceptions of what, uh, meant to lead in a kingdom perspective. Um, uh, th there were a variety of things, not addressing issues right when they came up, like kind of letting them sit there. Um, I think probably trying to get more people. And I was like, why not just be content with what we have that led to all these other, you know, bad influences coming in. And, um, 
without getting into the whole thing, um, you know, there was an altar call. Um, Christ got up and rebuked a spirit of mischief, which I thought was great. It's something he got from John Wesley. He felt like that was present. And then he said, if you were doing drugs, you need to come up here right now while we take communion and repent. So this guy comes up and repents of like doing drugs at the event and, um, you know, and then things started to break and things started to get better. Uh, we ended up having to kick a few people out. Um, but we saw progress. Like we saw just like things get deeper, better. Um, and the presence of God starts to come back. Um, and right. <laughs> not to just be oppressed all the time. Um, and so, you know, Chris had a cool word after that. He's like, you know, I think what the Lord is teaching us here is how to steward revival. Like he's teaching us how to steward revival and how to be in revival. Because in revival, you have all these things that you have to deal with um, that are so difficult. Messy birth. Right. So, um, yeah, that's just a few stories from that year. The, the ending of it was awesome. Like it just kind of went from glory to glory to glory over the last few days. The presence of God just like increasing and increasing. And the Friday night, it was just really cool. We had a we had a visiting uh, prophet preacher who came, and he was just like, "I think the Holy Spirit wants to be poured out tonight." And so he just like prayed a release of the Holy Spirit, like "Come Holy Spirit," and oh my goodness, it happened! Like the Holy Spirit was poured out. Different people just once again were you know. All the different things that happen when Holy Spirit shows up, um, we're laughing, they were speaking in tongues, just all this, it just all broke out. One of my, one of my really good friends from seminary just got radically touched by the Lord uh, that night, uh, Jordan Easley, baptized in the Holy Spirit and uh, in love and joy. And, <laughs> you know, at the end of the night, like he's walking out, he's like staggering. He's just so overwhelmed. It's just, anyway, it's just beautiful. Um, so that was Steve Chase, good man of God. And um, that's anyway, I, yeah, he I think that's enough a, from that time. Yeah, he was on assignment up our way here at St. Paul Darien. Jordan Easley is their youth director, I think, for a little while. But was he your uh, seminarian uh, classmate? Yeah, Jordan and I actually, we, we actually met um, – it's a side note, but we actually met in my first 10 days journey in 2005. I met him at Wheaton College, and then we reconnected in seminary. Um, and so Jordan was one of the few people who joined us in that first year to actually do 10 days. He was one of, you know, a handful in the whole U.S. <laughs> so well, he got that baptized cool to... that night. He got baptized in the Holy Spirit that night at Northfield, 2009, Pentecost. Yeah. Yeah. Just sovereignly, you know, just the Lord just zapped him and uh, many other people were powerfully touched that night as well. Um, it was it, it was a, just a holy moment. I just just remembering it, I'm just like so thankful to the Lord. And so um, this ended um, on Pentecost Sunday. And as we were wrapping up, um, Chris Otto came up to me and he was crying and I was like, Chris, why are you crying? And he said, the Lord just says, we're not going to be back here for a long time. And I was like, Chris, what are you talking about? Like we have a contract for the fall. Um, but he said, no, the Lord says we're not going to be here for a long time. So I was just kind of like, huh, what do I do with that? Um, <laughs> and um, basically I just decided, okay, Lord, if this is from you, like it'll become clear. We're just going to keep moving forward uh, with our plans. And, you know, if it's from you, this will become apparent. Um, and um, sure enough, we were moving forward for another fall 10 days retreat. And um, as we were getting close, we were called by Northfield. They said, look, we're not going to do this. We're canceling it. And um, it was about two weeks ahead of time. Now, was, was the campus still for sale at that time? Like, had the Greens purchased it by then? Like, what was what was going on when they canceled you? 
Yeah, the campus was still for sale at that time. And, you know, at this point, we were into the housing crisis, the financial crisis, and their attempts to sell it for 40 million were just really, it was just really difficult for them to sell. Um, uh, that's another thing I should mention. We've been praying all along for, you know, a Christian buyer to receive the campus for really cheap. Um, you know, that, that the Christian legacy of the campus could be carried on, the legacy of Moody. Um, and so unbeknownst to us, they were very close to having a, a, a deal. And that was probably what was driving them canceling the event. They just couldn't have any more complications. But we were kind of thrown into um, a little bit of chaos and confusion because uh, we didn't know where to go. And a church in Lowell, Massachusetts opened its doors to us, uh, Raful Najem's church. And so we ended up um, hosting 10 days of prayer in a retreat context there. Um, and um, it was, you know, once again, it was like the retreats at Northfield. Um, this year in the fall, it was even more powerful than in 2008. And part of what had happened is the Lord had just really showed me these three elements of mourning. So the fall 10 days is based on mourning. And I had kind of been trying to understand what it means to mourn. When I talked about mourning, people didn't want to do it. And I get it. Like, but, you know, so it's kind of like, how do I articulate what the father is looking for in these fall 10 day time times? And so God had led me into this structure to understand mourning of as being like mourning is what we've lost and what we've, what we lack. And so he led me into, um, and also just understanding kind of the inside out nature that we mourn um, because joy comes in the morning. So it's actually through mourning that we can experience like the positive elements of the kingdom. Like we're comforted when we mourn, but if we refuse to mourn, we're excluded. So it's just starting to understand these dynamics. And, and so we had basically a structure of, of a morning, an afternoon, and an evening prayer time. The morning time, we focused on personal repentance and just like personally being with the Lord. Like, Lord, I'm here for you to remove anything in me that causes offense to you. Um, it wasn't like, oh, I'm going to confess every sin I've ever done in my life. No, it was just like, Jesus, we know that you want us to look like you. We're here to be conformed to your image and likeness. And then in the afternoons, we'd focus on intercessory morning, which is like praying for God's promises to be fulfilled that haven't been fulfilled. And then in the evenings, we'd focus on this element of mourning, of longing for the Lord's return. And so they were all focused on the return of the Lord. And so that kind of became our structure. We currently have that same thing, same basic form that was developed then on our website now, Three Kinds of Mourning. But it, it touches into these dimensions of personal mourning, like God transforming you into the likeness of Christ. Of course, any personal issues that you need to mourn over, um, things that like losses that you've taken, damage you've taken. Um, intercessory mourning, where God uses us like Daniel in Daniel 9 to advance his purposes. And we uh, enter into the lack that we're experiencing now on the earth and then longing for the return of the Lord, experiencing the lack that we have now because Jesus is absent from us. And so that structure was really fleshed out in that 2009, 10 days in an amazing way. And I came through that and I was like, wow, okay, this is, this is mourning. We were mourning like the Lord said, like my people will mourn before I return. I walked out of that meeting in 2009 for the first time feeling like, okay, we've actually done that now. This, this didn't so, leave people depressed. I was just going to say, so this was 2009 in the fall, Raful, uh, Jim's uh, church, the CCF in Lowell, Mass. By the way, I think their building back then is and still is a synagogue. So here you are doing the 10 days of awe in the synagogue is am i right in that do you remember if they were in that building at that time yeah it used to be a synagogue yeah they bought it from yeah. a jewish congregation that's right so that's interesting to me i mean that's 10 days of prayer fall is centered around the 10 days of awe which is really only um exercised in the jewish community uh anymore other than this new 10 days movement you know it's been a it's sort of a uh, old testament experience um, and so here you guys are, are with Raful, and you're 
doing the morning thing, which is really a 10 days of awe thing. Right, we're doing the morning thing in like a new covenant way. It's the best way I can describe it um, in a Holy Spirit way. And it was uh, the 2008 10 days, like even though we tried, it was like we were trying to do it right. Like there was still what I would just call this heaviness in the prayer um, where it just still felt like we were striving, like we were trying to figure out how to do this thing, how to mourn. But in 2009, and, and actually in 2008, like some people kind of like came out of it and they're like, man, I was just depressed afterwards. You know, I know that wasn't the goal, but it, it was just like something, you know, it was like this heaviness was there. But in 2009, it was like we figured out how to mourn biblically in a way that honored the Holy Spirit. I should mention too, it was a time of of the release of incredible joy. And so at the end of the 10 days in 2009, we prayed the last prayer. We were like, we seal this time in Jesus name. And wham, I got drunk in the spirit, like immediately. <laughs> and, and other intercessors that were there too. Like we just got like, wham, just like hit with the presence of God so strong as we ended. And it was joy. And that's like, that's, that's the message. It's funny because I've been saying that like so much joy comes in the morning and I just realized, okay, we just figured something out here. Like we, we figured out not only how to do the Pentecost one, but we've now figured out how to fast, how to mourn in a new covenant way that doesn't bring heaviness, but, but just welcomes the presence of God and brings breakthroughs. Now there were still parts we were still trying to figure out. I don't know if we had really touched on corporately this element of longing for the lord's return yet but there were there was something so good that it happened then um, there's some great testimonies of course from the time as well but that's i think that's the main thing i want to focus on is there's this danger in the idea of mourning of it becoming heavy of, of us just coming under this heavy yoke and almost being oppressed and that's not what the father's looking for like he's looking for us to mourn in a way that leads unto joy and unto fulfillment. And we really touched on it that year. And I think it's been something that's been with us ever since.